Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. George Mocharko with DC Entrepreneur, speaking today with Sean T. Macbeth. Sean is a freelance software consultant, an avid hobbyist, and chief technology officer with Highland Fundraising Solutions. He's currently developing virtual reality environments for Oculus Rift. Thanks for being here today, Sean. Now, you've been doing a lot of work with WebVR. Can you please explain what that is? Sure. So WebVR is a, it's an API, it's a standard that Google and Mozilla are developing together to create um, extensions in web browsers to be able to make virtual reality experiences. So like you can go onto a website now and play a game or read an article uh, and you know that is all through some, some system that the browser provides you. WebVR will be, you will be able to visit a a website and then start a virtual reality experience and uh, for a lot of people this is sort of what the metaverse is is all about where the metaverse starts the metaverse is this concept that uh, you know, got started with William Gibson in, yeah, you know, in, in his yeah. his novels and this idea of a of a virtual space that um, is completely digital completely non-corporeal that you you travel around in and when you when you break down when you break down the idea just beyond literature if you try to think about what is the metaverse a lot of the technology comes down to what we have in the internet right now you know what we have in terms of the decentralization of the internet is exactly what Gibson had described as the metaverse and so really the visuals and the feedback are kind of the last thing to do um, so that's I think that's what a lot of people are really excited about for web VR is is this opportunity to to build this completely immersive virtual social space so why do you think the technology has taken so long to develop even though these ideas have kind of permeated through our culture for the past 20 30 years even I think it was a bit of an accident. Um, you know, with smartphones, uh, we had a really compelling reason for people to want very powerful processors in a very small package with extremely high resolution displays. And that just so happens to also be a good motivation for VR as well. Um, I think people don't understand virtual reality until they experience it for the first time. You can't tell somebody what virtual reality is about. Just a little while ago, you know, I showed you a demo here. That's right, yeah. And what your, your impression of would, going into it, did you have any sense of what it was going to be like? I had no clue what I was going to experience in VR. I, I just remember what I had um, read about it, you know, in the 90s in particular, when, you know, some of the cyberpunk authors and uh, futurists and science fiction um, writers were talking about kind of the, the applications of what VR would be in the future. And, of course, in, in mass media, you saw movies like Existence and The Matrix, which were kind of, you know, very vivid in the popular imagination. But right. 
you know, the technology wasn't there at that time. It, I can't, it was very blocky. <laughs> I can't believe you've seen Existence. I think, I think you're the only other person I know who has seen Existence. So, you can't unsee Existence. Oh, that so. is a crazy movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nearly impossible to sell VR. You know, to be able to give somebody an idea of why they should care about VR, if you don't have it available to put on their head right away, yeah, it, that's impossible. That's an impossible sell. And so, what happened was we found a different market to build the technology around. Um, you know, smartphones, and I, I don't think anybody was really actually trying to. I think it was all accidental, mm-hmm. and suddenly we had uh, we had a way to do it that. Uh, that sort of worked and was compelling enough to show enough people this is what we've been talking about all this time to to get those light bulbs going off. Oh, now I get it. To really start putting actual effort into real hardware. So what what do you think is the future of mobile development for uh, virtual reality? Uh, If you you look at products like the Samsung Gear VR where uh, it's professional-grade optics uh, combined with a high-powered smartphone, uh, I think that's kind of where it's going to go. Um, also, probably bringing in a little bit of like the Microsoft HoloLens concept where it's more of an augmented reality. One of the fields that excites me the most is taking this mobile virtual reality device and using it to create an office for yourself wherever you want to go. Huh. Um, okay. for, for me, I have my office here and you can see it it's all spread out you know i have all my stuff all around and uh it's organized you know it's not a complete it's not a complete mad scientist lab but there is a spatial relationship between everything and having a smartphone just you know with with icons and swiping screens back and forth um, with your fingers on a, on a touch display you don't really get that sense of the spatial relationship between things but for a virtual reality headset you have roughly the same size of of device you know it's a little bit larger but it's much more portable than a laptop but you can also now build in a spatial relationship between your work items um, and so that that's something that really excites me where do you see the demand going is it going to be is there going to be demand for developers or is the demand going to be more for the users uh, on the mobile platform uh, for now, I think that it's going to be mostly um, a user-oriented demand. Uh, I think it's going to be mostly based around uh, consuming content, um, stereo videos, uh, three to, um, 360 panoramic videos. Uh, those seem to be those seem to be the things that are driving adoption the most right now. Um, people who people who get their Google Cardboards or their their Gear VRs. After they get past the the gee whiz, wow, this is amazing moment, um, what they seem to keep coming back to are video experiences where they can look around all around. You know, um, so I think I think for the absolute nearest future, I think uh, that entertainment aspect going more past documentary. A lot of it right now is documentary, um, but I think going more towards an entertainment role for that. Can you, can you explain what you mean by documentary? Uh, it's so there's usually not uh, any sort of story going on. There's no plot. Uh-huh. It's really just a, a video, usually a video walkthrough or fly through of the barrier reef or something like that. So it's it's kind of like the sort of thing you would see on National Geographic, 
okay. uh, you know, documenting uh, a thing that is actually going on in the world. Um, even even uh, some of the other experiences, like uh, Paul McCartney had broadcasted one of his concerts over virtual reality. Uh, that was one of the early uh, Gear VR events. Um, and then there are also, uh, there's been a couple of NBA uh, basketball games that uh-huh. have been broadcast that way as well. Uh, there's no overarching narrative, which is, is because I think we don't know how to do narrative in VR yet, but um, I think if somebody could figure out narrative to do well in VR, it's going to really crack everything open and people are going to, going to clamor for it as much as possible. So possibly there could be an opening there for you know, immersive storytelling. Right. Um, for journalists or for authors. Right. Uh, that still seems to be kind of the, the entertainment side of what virtual reality does. Right. What are some of the practical applications that you see for uh, VR, and especially web VR? Right. Um, one of the, you know, like I previously mentioned, I'm excited about doing work in VR, building applications that aren't just entertainment. Um, one of the one of the things I've been playing around with is uh, live programmable environments where the world that you are sitting in, you have an editor in front of you you can type into, and this defines objects that show up around you. Sort of like Star Trek's holodeck or something. Yeah. You know, it's not voice commands. You, you type it in, you know, our... Our voice command system today is not very good if we're, if we're doing that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, this, this idea of just a, a reactionary world, a world where you have control and you can, you can program it, it it's, it's a sort of magic when you do that. It gives the, it gives the user applied tools to, to do something like this in the real world. So to me, to me that's the closest thing that... Uh, comes to magic is is this idea of, of live programmable uh, environments. For the listeners, uh, if you go to the DC Entrepreneur blog, you'll see a video on YouTube of Sean demoing uh, the VR web system where he is uh, live coding and you actually see the changes in the environment happening while he is typing them. Um, so I urge you to, to see that. And that's and that all runs in the web browser. And, and the, the reason I've done it there in the web browser is to be um, maximally accessible to users. Um, I'm just one person working on virtual reality stuff. And so if I, if I build it with uh, a programming language like C++, if I go more for like the game-oriented route, um, then I'm, I'm going to lose somebody. I'm going to lose either people who are on Windows, or I'm going to lose people who are on OS X, or I'm going to lose people who are on Android. But if I do it through the browser, then everybody has a browser that's capable of running this this program. If not now, then certainly in a year from now. Um, and so it's sort of, it's, it's, it's coming true to where the browser, the web browser today is, uh, is more of an application deployment platform. And then also it gives us, you know, just an ability to reach people, you know, much faster than if you put the put the app up in an app store or something. Sure. And you also mentioned that you're just one person working on this. So can you just tell us a little bit more about the community of, of VR developers and, you know, where people's interests are and what kind of things they're uh, moving towards in uh, creating new virtual reality environments? Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's actually a growing community around WebVR. Um, 
I am fortunate enough to get to converse with them on Twitter and Reddit a lot of a lot of times. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of really great guys like Brian Pierce, uh, who did uh, he he built a project that was sort of an inspiration for me uh, called Rift Sketch. Okay. That it was also it was another live programmable environment, um, and uh, and so my. My project looks very similar, and it does very many similar things, um, but where his project um, was sort of sort of very specifically for that live programmable environment, I'm going more towards uh, building support for different types of applications. Um, applications are difficult to build in virtual reality right now. Because it's not, it's with, a, with an application on a desktop, you, you have tools readily available to say, okay, here's our window, and we're going to put a button here and a text box here, and when you click on the button, it's going to read the text box and it's going to do something. That's incredibly easy to do uh, for a two-dimensional desktop application. For virtual reality, you can say, put a cube here. That's easy. Or put a cylinder over there. Okay, that's great. How do you interact with that? What, is, what does interacting with those things mean? And how do we turn that into information? There's no text box that you can just throw up and say, okay, read that text box. Yeah. Let the user type in that text box and read it. Uh, so a lot of my focus right now is on building those sort of tools to be able to say, I want a text box here and I want a button here over there. I'm using hand gestures and I realize nobody can see my hands. <laughs> um, but there, for, for a lot of people uh, in the WebVR community, it's uh, it's very much uh, focused on this sort of infrastructure piece of you know enabling applications in the in the web space, and some of it is uh, entertainment oriented you know for games, um, but it, I think a lot of it is just general purpose. You know how do we how do we get from how do we get from okay we have a web browser we have a website we have three D content all of that can be put together into a virtual reality experience, but how do we take advantage of the web itself? You know, what what does that do for us other than just any other application? There are um, there are a few languages that are being used. There there are there are hundreds of different programming languages, and most of them are not being used for virtual reality. There's probably there's only a small handful of languages that are being used. Um, C plus um, plus. Unity, which Unity is not a language itself, but I'm going to call it a language because it has its own version of languages, and then JavaScript. And there are, I mean, there are ways to translate one programming language to another, and people have used that to avoid having to write JavaScript. But you you have some trade-offs there in performance when you do that. Some things don't work out quite so well when you do that. So um, I think the people who've been most successful with WebVR have written JavaScript by hand for doing that sort of stuff. One of the big um, goals with WebVR is to be able to make virtual reality applications accessible to web developers. Right now, you have to be a game developer. Right now, you have to be a game developer to do this, and a game developer has a very specific set of skills, a very broad and deep set of skills in terms of mathematics, in terms of uh, content design, um, and programming chops that it just, it's it's kind of a rare person to find who is able to put you know to work on their own to be able to put together a 3D game, um, and so with WebVR the hope is that a lot of these things can be done in a general way, 
that uh, can be accessible to anyone who just has has the design desire, um, much in the way that the that the web works today in two dimensions. Well, it's true, and, and I think whenever you saw that people started to uh, learn how to code their own websites, you just saw an explosion of commerce um, flocking towards that. Right. And all of a sudden, if anybody had a business, everybody had to have a website. Right. And if it wasn't a website, it was an e-commerce site where they were able to basically change their business model and, and right. move towards being online. So do you see any kind of dram dramatic changes there towards shifts of different pockets of industry or, oh it's or certainly it's certainly going there is certainly going to be a sea change of mm -hmm. some sort we don't know what it is you have to remember the internet that we have today came about as you said from people who just started hacking away on their own you know we we had you know back in the late 90s we had pearl you know that was all we had or or you know we had pearl or c and so people just started hacking at it and they made something and it worked, so that's what we went with. And over the years, it's just continued that way. And I think sitting back 1995, I don't think you could have predicted what the Internet would have come to today. Similarly today, I don't think we're going to be able to very easily predict what the Internet is going to be, or what virtual reality is going to be, I'm sorry. But that's, I think that's kind of the beauty of it. It's, the, it's this great democratizing force. And, and that's and with with the focus on open standards with web VR it's it's about maintaining that that democracy about giving people the tools you know the the, the crayons or the finger paints or the brushes and oil paints or whatever they want to make out of it to just go after it and make their own world out of it I think you just clued into something that that we need to, to focus on too which is what is the next generation going to be using? I mean, right now we have kids that are in kindergarten learning how to use a tablet device when they're like two years old. Yeah. So uh, naturally they're going to be interested in programming and coding and, and, and learning how to you know, make the objects on that tablet device move. So it seems like there's probably a lot of future and potential there for them to become future developers. The VR space. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, for me, I got started as a kid on my old Nintendo. You know, and there's there's a lot of a lot of other developers who remember fondly their times on their Atari or their Commodore sixty four, and <laughs> you know, just yeah. that sparking the interest in technology for them and that giving them the drive to to start to make make their own worlds, basically. There's a little bit of argument in the technology industry right now about what tablets mean for children, um, because you know your tablet is your tablet is a very curated experience. You know it's mostly for consumption. Mm -hmm. It's mostly it's difficult to make things on your tablet other than photos or, or music. Uh, you you don't program on a tablet. So there are there are some people who are concerned that that's creating a, a generation of consumers over over developers but at the same time like i said i grew up my first computer was a nintendo a lot of people their first computer was an atari those were those were similarly restricted you know it was it was really only like say the late 90s into the early 2000s where we had a generation of people grow up on pcs and, and now if you look there's opportunities for developers to make their own super mario brothers game which right. you know 
we would have had that whenever I was a kid. That would have blown my mind away. Right, right. I could make my own levels. And right. That's great. You know, yeah. I, I, and I think that that's really where, where the, the change happens, maybe the sea change in the industry. Right. Um, so I didn't want to just focus on uh, virtual reality uh, exclusively because I know that there's other projects that you've worked on too. Can you tell us some of the other things that you've worked on in the, the mad scientist lab yeah, here? Yeah, uh, I just recently finished up a project for a friend. Um, he wants to sell a kit that allows you to uh, pick up FM or weather band radio stations uh-huh. and uh, integrate them directly into a professional audio setup. Um, and so to have this as a, as a really simple you know, a really simple kit to, to be able to use as a, a, a benchmark uh, to then hack other things on top of. Um, so we just finished that up uh, just two days ago, actually. Um, so that's, that was pretty neat. Um, and then I do, uh, I do some consulting for nonprofit organizations, um, usually universities or, um, uh, public, uh, private schools, I mean, um, or hospitals occasionally where they have their, uh, fundraising operations. They have their donors and they call up and ask for money and, uh, they have their databases of their donors and how they manage that database, um, is important uh, for in terms of uh, being able to reach people and, and maybe even like call them by the right name. Um, you know, it's, there, there are all kinds of different issues surrounding the data of people that uh, I try to help. I try to help what are typically not very technical people. They, they, they're usually much more uh, focused around um, some human aspect of their organization uh, and they've been given a, a technical database to manage and and so I come in and I, I help them make sense of that. And then there was also um, an application that you had for writers, too, I remember. Oh, right, yes. Uh, that was Just Right, Damn It. Yeah. <laughs> just Right, Damn It, okay. Um, I, had, uh, I had a couple of friends who had for years and years been talking about, I want to be an author, I want to be a novelist. Uh-huh. And they weren't writing anything. <laughs> so I'm like, well, if you want to be a novelist so bad, why don't you just write something, damn it? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and so I challenged them to National Novel Writers Month. I bet them $100 uh-huh. each that they would not do, they would not write their 30,000 words or however much it is for NaNoWriMo. And, uh, and, and at the same time, I was supposed to do it, but then I kind of got into this Zen writing program thing where, you know, there are these different, there are these different, uh, editing programs out there, writing programs that they sort their, their whole purpose is to be the antithesis to a word processor Mm -hmm. where a word processor gives you tons of different options. Uh, a Zen writing program gives you none. (laughs) Is that that the arm writer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Like, like arm writer. Um, and so I, I wrote Mm -hmm. one. And I had more fun writing that program than actually writing a book. <laughs> and, and my friends started yeah. using this to do NaNoWriMo. And okay. they found that they were being extremely productive using it. So I, guess I sort of just I kept going with it for a little bit. And I, I made this, this website just right there. I think writing code actually counts as writing. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think so. Yeah. Excellent. Well, great. Sean, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks a lot. Subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and connect with us on our blog, dc-entrepreneur.com. If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook. Please tune in to our next episode. And thanks for listening.